Hi everyone, this is Britta Wedeling and you're listening to the Bits and Pretzels podcast, the podcast for founders and entrepreneurs, investors and decision makers. Today I'm talking with Drew Houston, co-founder and CEO of Dropbox right here on stage at the Bits and Pretzels Festival in Munich. In the midst of building Dropbox, the cloud storage platform where many of us save and share documents, pictures and more, he realized that something was seriously off. Every six to 12 months as a founder or as a CEO, your job completely changes. And so you need to figure out how do you learn what you need to know for that job because it's as if you're going to be fired from the job you're in and rehired into a new and different one. But at some point, Drew realized he wasn't creative anymore and that it was tough for him to get anything done. He even felt there was a pretty good chance he would run into a burnout soon. And that's what we are going to talk about today. Drew's recipe about how to stay creative and successful as a CEO of a successful global company in the face of whatever challenges he may have to deal with on the way. It's almost 22 years ago that you started, co-founded your company back at MIT with Arash, your co-founder. So, and nobody's really born CEO, right? So, so tell us a little bit about how you look at your own growth paths and what has helped you on your journey, on your evolution as an entrepreneur. Sure. Well, I ended up doing startups when I was really young and, and uh, my, first, my first programming job actually was when I was 14. Um, I, was, I started beta testing an online game, and then I found all these security problems, and, uh, and then they hired me to fix some of them. But, um, but then over time, in college, I started my first company, and then Dropbox started about 12 years ago. And the, one of the things that was really helpful for me to, to understand is, is what you said, which is that no one is born a CEO, like no one comes out of the womb with like a an Armani suit on and like knowing how to do their right. job. Uh, everybody has to figure it out. And, and all of the Hall of Fame entrepreneurs had to learn on the job. Um, and so then the question is, well, how do you, how do, you do right. that? Or how, how do you make that work? And for me, the way, I've, the, the way I've thought about it is you need to be systematic about training yourself. So you, you, you can't really go to school to, to be a founder or CEO. Um, you learn it on the job. And the way I've thought about it is you need to keep your personal growth curve ahead of your company's growth curve. So, so what does that mean? Well, every six to 12 months as a founder or as a CEO, your job completely changes. And so you need to figure out how do you learn what you need to know for that job because it's as if you're going to be fired from the job you're in and rehired into a new and different one. And so for me, what's been really helpful is trying to have a map. Mm-hmm. And a question I have found helpful is, is thinking about one year from now, two years from now, five years from now, what will I wish I had been learning today? And especially in the early days, the answers to those questions can be pretty different. Because in 2007, uh, there was really nothing to do but code and, and build our prototype. But then a year from then, we would be raising our first, uh, first venture capital round. A couple years later, we'd be figuring out how to get users. And five years after that, um, we'd be figuring out how to build a real business. And the good news is all this happens one day at a time. And so you don't wake up one day with a two-person company and the next day have a 2,000-person mm -hmm. company. So even if it happens really fast, which, which it can, um, you still have time. And so what's been helpful to me is doing a bunch of different things. So one is reading. 
I've, I've, reading is probably the single most helpful um, thing that I've done because uh, all of us think that, or when you start out, you think every, every challenge you have is unique. But then when you study the business uh, or the history of business or history of technology or, or get some perspective, you realize that uh, maybe your situation is your situation is unique in some regard, but it is often pretty similar mm-hmm. to other things. And so um, when, I was a, when I was in college, uh, I realized I didn't know anything about sales or marketing or strategy. And when I started my first company, I, I knew that. So I went on Amazon and I typed in sales, marketing, you know, <laughs> finance, whatever. And I would just buy the top couple books Right. And, and read them. And I'd take my little folding chair up to the roof of, of the house where I lived in college, and I'd just spend all summer reading these books. Um, and I still do that. I still do that. In, mm-hmm. in principle, I do that today. When I, when I talk to my friends who went through this scaling process, they say that they miss programming sometimes when they started uh, you know, their company. And you as an MIT guy... I feel it probably, could probably be the same for you, right? Is there anything that you miss about the early days of starting a company, the energy, the, you for me, like, talk about that? Of course, yeah. The, every, every stage, I think, has been special in its own way. Um, I wouldn't say I want to go back to being two people again. I mean, although I'm nostalgic for a lot of stuff, it's like I, I liked college. I don't know if I'd want to tomorrow wake up and be a freshman again. Um, but for sure, I think there are, uh, I actually, I still, it's, it's funny. Yeah. I started out coding and then actually for fun, I, I do a lot of coding now again. Um, oh yeah. Because what do you code now? Well, I'm this whole Renaissance in AI and machine learning oh, is really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's been, uh, and engineering was really my first love. So like getting to understand what's really going on under the hood And to know what I'm talking about when, when uh, this transformation is happening and, and, and getting a deeper understanding of how it can affect our products and how it's going to affect life more broadly uh, is both really valuable from a business perspective, but it's just a lot of fun for me. And so I think it, it helps to kind of uh, keep in touch, keep in touch with your roots and do things like that. But at the same time, more importantly, more often, you have to learn to let go. That was the harder thing. It's when right. I had to stop coding mm-hmm. a couple of years in mm-hmm. because even if you're capable of it, the whole point is you need to hire a team to do these things for you. And that's, you have to fire yourself as a coder and hire yourself as an engineering manager and product manager and all kinds of other right. jobs. You just announced the dramatically upscaling of your lineup for the second time in three months, calling it the most significant change in the history of your company. What exactly do you mean by that? And what exactly, what kind of change are you thinking about when you look at your new product line? Well, this week on Wednesday, we introduced something called Dropbox Spaces, which, uh, which builds on something we launched in June, which is the new Dropbox, where we realized that in the beginning, we just thought about Dropbox as a place for your stuff. But over time, we realized that millions of people in millions of companies around the world were bringing Dropbox into work. And for them, it was really their workspace and the place they would go to work. The only thing was we hadn't really designed the product that way. And so a few years ago, we started thinking, well, what if we had? And the new Dropbox and Dropbox Spaces are, are what we've built. And basically, Dropbox Spaces transforms the shared folder uh, from a folder full of files to an intelligent team workspace 
for all your content. Uh, so we noticed that, of course, people put their files in Dropbox, but now you can put Google Docs in, and Dropbox Paper Docs, and Trello boards, and all these different things that people are using because we found our customers are using everything. And we've all got all the apps on our phones. And then we have this new problem of how do I keep my stuff organized? Uh, and then second was we kind of reached the limits of what we were able to do on the desktop because Dropbox is just a folder on your computer. So mm-hmm. now we have a whole new foreground app. Uh, you, in addition to having all the content in one place, you can see all the conversations and people and activity. And it's a little bit different from some of the other collaboration tools because we're trying to create a much more organized and calmer and focused mm-hmm. experience. And turning Dropbox into the app that ties all your other apps together um, because we found that the experience of using technology these days has become incredibly distracting and overwhelming, and we think we can do something about mm-hmm. that. This is something you want to focus on with this product, right? You want to talk about focus and you know, bring all the distraction together and solve this problem that we are all uh, suffering from, right? This, this focus, distraction, technology is distracting us. Yeah. Why, why, did you choose, why did you choose that topic? Well, I started getting pretty personally frustrated with this myself a few years ago. I was like, man, I'm just, I'm in meetings all day, inbox all night, and wake up and repeat. And, and, and it was bizarre, because I'm like, I can't remember the last time I was really using my brain, and, and I'm working really hard, but feel like I'm making less progress. Uh, and and it, it sort of reminded me of the beginning of Dropbox, where mm-hmm. I started the company, because I kept forgetting my thumb drive. And here I was a few years ago feeling like, man, the way we're working just feels really unsustainable um, on a number of dimensions. And, 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 I, and part of why I got excited about this whole new uh, direction was I was talking to this engineering director. I remember talking to this engineering director at SpaceX. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling like a little jealous. Oh, yeah? Because I was like, you know, it's cool being the file guy and all, but... <laughs> You know, here's a guy who's actually working <laughs> on a moonshot. But he's working with Elon Musk, though. That's also not so, so easy, I've heard. <laughs> well, then, then I started asking him all these questions. I was like, well, how do you, that's really cool. How do you guys work together? What tools do you use to collaborate? And, and he just looked at me like I had three heads. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I asked him, like, well, what's it going to take to put someone on Mars? And... The answer was basically a lot of emails and a lot of files. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, like we are in so many ways held back by our tools. And, and the struggles of a rocket scientist are basically the struggles of the rest of us. I mean, they have all these different, uh, their tools haven't kept up with the way they're working. Mm-hmm. There are all these distractions. Um, it was impossible for them to focus And then that sent me down a little bit of a rabbit hole, wondering why, in a, at a time when more than ever we're all asked, be, asked to be using our brains at work, it seems like with every passing day it gets harder and harder to do that because there's a lot of great things about the tools we're using in, in mobile and the cloud, but there's so many of them now. Uh, and I think we've hit a breaking point in terms of how much we can process and you, know, you sort of step back and look at the concept of getting 500 emails a day when we used to get five emails a day right. or all these badges on our phone where it says like 14,000 unread whatevers and it's like who thought this was a good idea right yeah um and it turned like no one did and 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 the fact that we're all carrying it's more than just inefficient the fact that we're all carrying work with home with us and kind of working 24 hours a day 
Like, it's not like someone thought that was a good idea. It just mm-hmm. sort of happened. So how did you learn to deal with this, all these distractions from technology? What did you learn yourself about how to deal with this omnipresence of technology tools? Well, I think you have to learn the practice of, of focusing. And, so that, and you have to be a lot more intentional about where your time goes. Because as a CEO, or, or really in most of our jobs... The to do, your to-do list or your potential to-do list is always 10 times or right. 100 times as long as the, as the time you actually have available. And when you realize that you, know, you and your favorite entrepreneurial superhero that, and, and you know, Elon have the mm-hmm. same number of hours in a day, but there's a big difference in terms of how much you can get done, you start to get curious about that. And so for me, it was really trying to study this problem. So understanding some of the psychology and neuroscience behind what makes us perform best at work when we're cognitively at our best. And, and it's not when we're getting interrupted 100 times right. a day. And carving out dedicated time to think. Um, and so one thing I do is I, I have a no meeting Wednesday, which is an idea that's... A what meeting? No meeting Wednesday. Okay. Which is an idea that's floated around Silicon Valley. But the problem is, when you, especially if you're CEO... If you try to create no meeting Wednesday, um, pretty quickly people start knocking on your door or coming in and becomes, or your assistant makes it all meeting Wednesday again. No one likes that idea. So you really have to figure out how to elbow out the time. And so at, at, at some point I'm like, man, I really need this time because that's really when I do my best work. Um, and so my assistant was like, well, hey, you've got to interview this candidate on Wednesday. And I was like, but I have my no meeting Wednesday. And she's like, but it's important. And then you realize, like, okay, everything that comes on your plate, um, if you're a founder, no matter how, what scale you are, it's always going to be important to someone. And so I said, I remember telling her, I'm like, look, just, if it, or that's fine, just t- schedule it on Saturday, I'll come into the office, and we'll have the meeting then. And then all of a sudden, my Wednesdays were a lot right. more free. I see, um, yeah. You know what? I think it's funny. I, I lived in Silicon Valley for the last five years, right? And I hear this discussion around distraction, technology distracting us, making us addictive for like, I would say, at least three years. Silicon Valley basically created these problems. Mm-hmm. But I don't really see a solution yet, right? I mean, I tell myself on weekends, right, on Saturday, I put my phone away, don't, don't work. But most people are still struggling with this, with the situation. Sure. So, so do you think, and I think it's probably bigger than just the question of distraction, that we really have to rethink how, how we use technology and that actually Silicon Valley has to do more to actually support the human being in its being human being than just like creating all kinds of funny, nice apps, technologies that distract us from what we really want to do? Well, I think it's important to realize that no one's intentionally doing this, right? So no... No matter what you think, I mean, and we've heard a lot of this document in the consumer realm, but I'd say the same kind of thing is happening maybe even more unintentionally at work. And and no one makes a productivity tool that, and says, man, we really want to waste your time. Right? So so something's (laughs) happening that you have to pay attention to. And I think the first thing, the first reason I I get optimistic about this is it wasn't always like this. Um, I remember when I visited my dad at work when I was a kid, it's like 20, 25 years ago. Um, a lot of things were the same. Like he had a desk and he had a PC and he had a phone. Um, 
but a lot of things were different. So that he got five emails a day, not 500, right? And his only distraction was Minesweeper. Right, there was no Slack right? back in the days. Yeah, and so, and, and then he would come home from work, he'd put his briefcase down, wouldn't think about it again right. until the next morning. And so, uh, we're not going to be able to go back to, you know, 1995 or whatever, but... And we don't want to. And we don't right. want to. Um, and, and not everything was... There were a lot of dumb things that... A lot of friction in, in that experience, too. But I think it gives clues as to how you might design a, a, a better way of doing this. And in fact, a couple of years ago, we Dropbox updated our company mission to designing a more enlightened way of working. Um, and, and part of it is, you might be like, well, why isn't design a more efficient way of working? Um, and, we, and we need that, too. But it's, a lot of this overwhelm and distraction and, and taking work home with us it's not just inefficient, it actually makes us unhealthy. And I think it contributes to this epidemic of burnout that, mm-hmm. that's happening, where um, that, that just didn't, ex- like two-thirds of people report being disengaged at work, half of people report be- being consistently exhausted at work, and that just wasn't the case 20 years ago. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, for every problem, to, or for every you know, solution technology gives you, it creates a new problem. Um, and, and that's just the nature of it. But I think what we need is, first, a different mindset. We need to value, when we're designing these tools, we need to value our time and creativity and attention more than, everything, more than mm-hmm. anything else. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's where a lot of the other, the, where our industry has started. Um, and, and if you don't frame the problem that way, you're not going to design the right products. Right. So, so, and, you know, hopefully we'll put a dent in this problem. A lot of other companies will too. But you have to start with a shift in perspective um, and really valuing that. And then there's, and I think with, the, with better design, you can make this problem better. And then this whole renaissance of machine learning means that as computers get all these new skills, like they can see and hear and speak and read and do all these things they couldn't do before, there's, there's also a huge potential for, for machines to be able to take a, take a lot of this busy work off of our plates. And, and, and if you think about computing, a computer used to be a person in the 1600s. So yeah, a computer was a he or a she, and it was someone who would manually carry out calculations all day. But, of course, now computation is something that's done almost entirely by machines. Um, and I think a lot of the things that we do in knowledge work will... Uh, computers will be able to do more of the organizing and planning and prioritizing for us. Um, and I think it's really exciting that we're going to have this, we yeah. have our human brains and we're going to have the silicon brain that Yeah, I tried, a, I tried an AI that was scheduled meeting for me. It's not working at all. Yeah. <laughs> it totally sucked, actually. Uh, and, you know, that's how a lot of these technologies start. And, and that's why I think design is really important. Because if you try to just do the naive thing and simulate... A human. If you build a chatbot, uh, that's a really hard, that's a really hard technical problem. Um, I think you can start with something similar, simpler. Like instead of presenting you with ten thousand different options or just passing all the data at you, computers are really good at, and they're going to get better at filtering through f- filtering through the stuff you need to look at and giving you a smarter menu of like five mm-hmm. or ten things. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the kind of thing we're trying to build. Yeah with the new generation of Dropbox. Coming back to your company, um, obviously you brought your company to a very successful IPO in March last year. You now have 600 million users uh, around the globe, but recently your stock kind of tumbled um, by 30%. How did this happen and what do you think needs to be done now to 
maybe have a rescue plan or like to bring stock up again. I mean, it totally sucks to be public as well, as we know. I, I mean, it's, it's you know, you, you kind of, if you start a company, you, get, you better get used to things going like that. There's no like easy button that just makes everything mm-hmm. go up and to the right. And, and, uh, and over the years, our stock, or, or the, people's perception of our value has gone up and gone down. And one thing you learn pretty quickly is as CEO, you don't control your valuation. That's the market sets that. And so, uh, and that's kind of an output. And, and I think a really important concept that some others have talked about is like, you can't really control the outputs. All you can control are the inputs. And, and in our case, what, what we need to focus on, what I need to make sure our company stays focused on is realizing that the, the people who ultimately set the value of our company actually aren't our investors. It's our customers. And if we solve important problems for them, uh, and if they're happy, then the whole business side and their stock price will take care of itself. And so, uh, thing, so our, our, our stock is, I mean, we certainly care about our stock price. We certainly care about generating a good shareholder return. You know, if, I, if, if you brought me here 12 years ago and said, hey, your company's going to be worth this, I think I would have been pretty right. happy about that. Right, yeah. Um, but, but, you know, that, that it's always a journey like that. Mm-hmm. There are always ups and downs. Mm-hmm. It, it's just so interesting because many of the IPOs we've seen over the last couple of months, Uber, Lyft, they are all like, you know, they were expected to be big successes. And now I think Uber's valuation cut in half, Lyft lost share, and WeWork is actually totally blowing up at this point. So how do you look at the situation of the big IPOs and the big unicorns, and did they turn out to be black sheep in a way? Well, you know, I think we had a period where the private valuations were getting pretty astronomical, and I think what the market is telling everyone is that we need more of a focus on fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Um, And at some point, uh, you know, one of the things you that becomes kind of obvious when you study business history is that at some point your company is valued uh, on a multiple of earnings on profit. Um, and it's, uh, gravity always wins. Like, so you can be growing for a long time, but you also need to make sure that your business model is, is sustainable. Um, and this is a pretty normal cycle. I mean, markets go in boom times, they focus on growth at all costs and land grab um, and there are a lot of reasons for that, but then things correct a little bit, and then it's and then they or they swing to the other side, and investors get scared, and then it's all about profit and you know mm-hmm. heading for the hills and, mm-hmm. and and just cash flow, and then it keeps swinging back and forth. So I think it's a pretty normal cyclical. Thing. Okay, so can you recommend going public? Oh, it's been a pretty good experience for us, and it was a decision we we thought a lot about, and and I'd say we started laying the tracks to be a public company, and tried to operate like a public company a couple of years before we actually filed to, to go public. Um, and the way I think about it is uh, as your startup goes through these transitions or your company goes through these transitions, whether and it's true at the seed stage, series A, B, C, and so on, uh, including going public, your report card changes a little bit. Um, and when you're going public, then your report card is really just about growth and profitability. And we thought, like, all right, we better like what our grades look like on that report card before we go public. And so then we had to make a bunch of changes to make sure that we had a sustainable business model um, and, and we're really focused on being able to continue compounding growth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
One thing that you also do is you play in a 90s cover band. <laughs> are, you still, <laughs> are you still going to, are you still doing that? I do, yeah. So Angry Flannel, uh, angryflannel.com, <laughs> weddings, bar Sounds mitzvahs. very aggressive though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, met, we all met on Craigslist about 13 years ago wow. and we still play today. So I think we're, we're going we're gonna to sneak ourselves into the, to our company holiday party. Uh, you can kind of do that when you're CEO. Um, <laughs> what, what, what's your part? What, do you play an instrument? I, I, so I, start, I didn't really know how to play guitar very well or sing very well when I started. Okay. But I, so but I, I'm rhythm sing. guitar but and I sing, sing backup vocals. Oh, okay. <laughs> so no performance today for you? I, I don't think people want that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we want that! Like, Probably next time. Next time you bring uh, your, your band to Bits and Pretzels. So, so listen, we We're have probably all... going to be available. Really? <laughs> If I have to guess. <laughs> so having, having, having all these European German entrepreneurs here who really see you as a role model, how do you look at the European ecosystem from your perspective as a successful CEO from Silicon Valley? Well, I think it's really exciting. And, and you know, I remember, I mean, it, it makes me think about our whole arc. And I remember coming to things like this. And, uh, you know, when I, first, when I first started, I was like, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but the European, the European ecosystem is really, is, is, there's a lot going on. There have been a, a lot of really successful companies. And, you know, some of the obvious ones, Spotify, right. uh, Adyen, Trivago, others. Um, and that's important because it starts to build the flywheel of you have to have successful companies because they've become role models, then you attract more investment, and then, uh, then, then around it goes. Um, Index Ventures invested in, or they led our Series B, and so we have some connection to the European ecosystem even from uh, several years ago. So, um, yeah, it's great. It's obviously great companies get started all over the world, um, and it's been exciting to see mm -hmm. that here. Mm -hmm. One funny thing that you said once is that frustration actually fuels you, and that is, is kind of your superpower. So explain this. How can frustration be a superpower or like fueling anybody? Well, I don't know if it's a superpower, but it, it makes me really motivated. So I, and when I... I I've just, everybody's going to have their own playbook as an entrepreneur. And, and for me, it was just really getting frustrated by something that was happening to me personally and then starting to really investigate why things are the way they are and then wondering why they can't be different and not getting good answers. And so, as I said in the beginning, it started Dropbox because I kept forgetting my thumb drive and I didn't, and I didn't want to hap that to happen again. I'm like, this is insane. Like, all the building blocks exist for having everybody live in the cloud, but they haven't been put together in quite the right way. Um, and that's still what fuels me here. I'm like, I, don't, mm -hmm. I hate email. I, don't, I, I hate being distracted all the time. I'm like, I don't understand why uh, we're using all these different apps and they don't work together and, and there's a lot that we need to do. Um, and so that, it, it's really important that whether it's frustration or something else, I would say you have to really care about the problem you're solving. Because this is a little, it was a little different with my very first company. So before Dropbox, I, I, much less, uh, I, I, my, my first company I started in college was doing online, online, online SAT prep or test prep. So I don't know mm -hmm. if any of you had the 
You have your equivalents here, but uh, explain what it is. So it's a college entrance exam. It was not the, the SAT in the U.S. was changing. The structure of the test was changing, and you used to have to study, take these 800-page books, and do all these really painful things as a student to try to get ready. Um, and there weren't really good online courses, so we thought uh, my co-founder, my former co-founder, and I thought about all right, if we just build. Like, first of all, it's a new test, so all the existing materials are obsolete, and if we put it online, then it'll be more convenient. Um, but, and, and that was true, and, and we, it was a, I really enjoyed those first couple of years. Um, but after a while, something happened where I just, I, I, it was really hard for me to get excited about what we were doing. And I sort of found it harder and harder to get, to make progress. Um, and then at first I thought was something wrong with me, um, and I guess maybe it was, but I recognize it now as burnout. I was just like, I just... Oh, you had a burnout then? Uh, yeah, and every entrepreneur has some burnout at some point. Um, and it's really painful. I mean, it's easy to look back on it now and think it was great, but it was actually a really painful experience because I, I had other friends who were starting companies and they were working a lot harder, and I, I'm like, what's wrong with me? Um, and I realized that I, I was kind of playing startup. Um, I really loved the concept of being a founder or being a CEO. And I loved like Photoshopping the logo and making my own business cards that said founder on them and handing them out to people. <laughs> but I didn't, but I'm like, man, even, but it was a lot of work. And I re, at some point I realized like, I, I, I'm like, I can't, I don't know if any of you have taken the SAT, but it's like, there's a train leaving Memphis and the train leaving this and math, math problems about parallel lines and isosceles triangles. And I'm just like, and, and, I, and we bootstrapped the company, so we're doing everything ourselves. So we did a lot of things you know, wrong, and there are things I would do completely differently now. But, but what happened, what I realized was, like, even in the best-case scenario, if all my dreams come true, I'm like, I'm king of SAT prep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't know what that looks like, or, you know... But, I didn't even know what it means. I was just like, I, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, that, but that, wasn't, that wasn't my calling. Like, I wanted to do something that was... Uh, a bigger challenge, more technical, and so on. Um, and I kept getting distracted by these side projects. And I, I made a poker bot that if, if in 2006, and then that became like really illegal in the U.S. <laughs> so I had to find something else. And I started screwing around with. I kept forgetting my thumb drive and screwing around with this new thing um, that became Dropbox. And I, I couldn't. I couldn't sleep. I was like, every, right. I was obsessed. Um, and it was, it, it was, I was like, oh my God, there's such a, I didn't have, no one had to t tell me to work. Like I was, mm -hmm. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, and, and I think it's really important for all founders to like find something, not just that you love or you think is a good opportunity, but that you can be like totally obsessed with. Um, and, and that was true with the, our, our first mission, which is really get people living in the cloud. And I forgot my thumb drive and all that, but then that kind of capped out too. I'm like, all right, I, you know, I love file syncing as much as you can love file syncing, and there's nothing wrong with that. But like, man, maybe I should be working on. There's so many other big right. things out there, and I realized that um, well, all the moonshots I really cared about depended on this other moonshot of getting people back to being able to use their brains at work, and 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 and, and no one seemed to really really solving that mm -hmm. problem. So now I'm just mm -hmm. as obsessed with that as I was with uh, the problem we started cool. working on in 2007. Yeah, did you feel that it made you a better leader? that you went through this process of finding, you know, your way, walking through burnout, finding, you know, a way to focus again? Do you think it makes you a better CEO? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's, you need to, I think one of the things 
I would tell my earlier self is like, you need to love the struggle. Uh, learn to love the struggle. And, and, and what I mean by that is like, there's just no, again, no button you can press that just makes things smooth and up and to the right. And, and it was hard in the beginning and it's still a lot of stuff is hard mm-hmm. now. It gets easier, but like it's all cyclical. And like no matter how successful you are, um, and, and you'd mentioned some companies that are having a tough time right now, but like at the same time, they've like transformed industries. They're in like the most successful, like whatever percentile of company you can possibly have. Um, and even they have right. struggles, right? And so you're, ju- you're always going to have that. And so something I think w- when it comes to burnout is uh, if, if, it feel, if your company feels like a burden all the time, it will always feel like a burden sometimes. But if, if you start to resent your company or f- feel like you're a victim and you don't, and, and, and instead of being like, no, I choose this, it's, it's my adventure, and, and think more of the game and other things, like mindset is really mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise, I, I mean, I think the thing that will kill most of the companies in this room is the founders burning out. Right. Not necessarily that the you know, product wasn't good enough. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, you need to have a good market, and there's all kinds of things that have to line up. But uh, for, for a lot of entrepreneurs that succeed, that's the biggest, that's the biggest threat. Yeah. Maybe they also start a band called Angry Flannel and, you know, get some of the energy out. Yeah. I mean, that's another, you have to learn to, you have to take care of yourself because um, no one's going to do that for you. And you need to figure out what that means for you. So, um, you know, in the beginning, you re- like I, for the first couple of years, we, my team and I just, wor- we work 24-7, that kind of thing. But it's not sustainable. And you, you have to, you realize at some point, like if your only advantage is working more hours in the day, like you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and often a lot of the things that got you to where you are, or, or especially if you're really early stage, like doing all the jobs, you have to let go a lot of that. And, and often your job is, becomes more and more to help other people do their jobs, make sure they know what their jobs are more than trying to do everything yourself. Great. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks a lot for these inspiring thoughts here. I think it's very valuable for us <laughs> to hear from you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Thank you. And that was this week's Bits and Pretzels podcast. I hope you have enjoyed the show and will let your friends and colleagues know about it. You can subscribe and listen to it on all regular podcast platforms or visit us on our website and social media. So please do and please share, like and comment. If you want to recommend a guest for our show, or if you just want to tell us your thoughts about this podcast, just send a mail to podcast at bitsandpretzels.com. We are always happy to hear from you and curious about your feedback. I am Britta Wedling. Thank you for listening.